Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Welcome to the Healthy Gut Podcast, the place where you can learn how to achieve a happy, healthy gut with your host, Rebecca Coombs. Welcome to episode 13 of the Healthy Gut Podcast. Today I'm joined by George Klingon who is a long-time SIBO sufferer with a passion for leveraging technology to improve the lives of others. His marketing and communication work in the startup industry, as well as experience as a small business website consultant, brings a crucial digital edge to SIBO Action Network. He is a proud millennial who strives to have a meaningful impact through the collaborative online platforms. George is a graduate of the University of Puget Sound. He lives and works in Denver, Colorado, where he enjoys local bike trails and superb alternative medicine just up the road in Boulder. George and I talk about his journey with SIBO. We talk about what pre-diagnosis looked like, how long it took him to get diagnosed, how long he was sick for, what his symptoms were, how many doctors he saw and the rest, and then also what it looked like when he got diagnosed, what that journey was like for him, both emotionally and physically. He talks through his treatment options, what works for him and what didn't work for him, and most importantly, what life looks like today. We also talk about the five key pillars to health and how he applies them to his life. And why George set up Simply SIBO, what it is, why he's developed a survey and why he wants you to be involved in it too. So I hope you enjoy episode 13 of the Healthy Gut Podcast with George Klingon. Welcome to the podcast, George. Thanks so much, Rebecca. I appreciate it so much. How are you? I am great, and uh, and it's great to have you on the podcast today because we met actually when I was over in Portland, Oregon for the SIBO Symposium, and that's when I first uh, heard about the work that you were doing with SIBO Action Network. So it's great to have you um, join us on the Healthy Gut Podcast all these months later. So thanks for coming on. Well, thank you. And Portland is actually my hometown. So it was great to see that we had the SIBO conference just in my backyard. And that was one of the first, uh, one of the first few years of um, the symposium over there. And so it was great to see sort of a, a fledgling movement kind of gain some traction and meet all these different people who are trying to make a difference in the industry, such as yourself. So it's, it's a pleasure to be on your show. Yeah, my 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 pleasure to have you and and one of the reasons why I um invited you to join us on the Healthy Gut podcast was because I was really interested in your own personal story with SIBO and I'd love for you to talk uh, a little bit about that and so that um my listeners can hear about your own journey and um so you've been diagnosed with SIBO and I'd love to talk more around what was life prior to your diagnosis? How did you feel? What were your symptoms like? And, and that journey for you towards finally discovering that you actually had a condition called SIBO? Sure, I'd love to. So basically, I, I started noticing some changes in my health in 2010 after taking antibiotics for about two years, if you can believe it. And I was taking those because I had a pretty bad uh, acne condition. And so finally, I, mean, I was taking several different antibiotics. Nothing was working. 
finally took Accutane and it solved the problem, but it also took a big chunk out of my microbiome, I imagine. So I, I didn't have the diversity that I once did. So then I uh, began college at the University of Puget Sound. And of course, as we all know, as a freshman in college, you're dealing with a lot of stress. You know, you're not eating as well as you might be. You have a lack of sleep. You know, you're going out with your friends. And so it's this big change. And that's when I first started noticing um, some changes with my health as well. And of course, it was very frustrating because I was trying to get going with my college experience. So that's when I started noticing things like fatigue, food sensitivities, brain fog, and um, some other strange things. Like I started having some issues with my vision and my hearing too. And it just is very perplexing. And it was, you know, really hard to manage my life in college along with these sort of, you know, mystery symptoms at the same time. And were you going to doctors and and saying to them, look, I I don't know what's wrong. I feel sick. Here are my symptoms. Or were you trying to um, muddle through it on your own? You know, a little bit of both, Rebecca. So, you know, I went to see the school nurse and, you know, the school, school nurse was pretty stumped. You know, I went to see a doctor locally, and they were pretty stumped. And and I went to see a uh, a naturopath in the Tacoma area, and they thought that it was adrenal fatigue. And so I started getting treated for adrenal fatigue, and that was kind of making things a little bit better, but not quite good enough. So it was good enough to continue with my studies and kind of plow forward, but it wasn't solving my problem. And so things just kind of continued to get slowly worse over time. And so, you know, then I went later on in college, I studied abroad, and then, you know, I came back. And then when I was a senior, it was really tough. That was when my symptoms were sort of the worst that they could be. Um, And I think we're going to go into this in a little bit more detail. But that was when I was noticing some of the pretty deep mental health symptoms that that can be associated with SIBO, including anxiety and depression. And that made, you know, my experience in college trying to do my homework, trying to stay, you know, spend time with my friends, trying to keep things all in the air. uh, It made it really difficult. And it was, it felt like I was really alone. And and it it, it made me, it made me kind of sad. Yeah, and it's such a common um, feeling for for those of us that have had SIBOs that I think quite um, quite often, especially in the early days, we feel very isolated because generally there's not other people that we know that are going through these symptoms. And often, when doctors don't know what's going wrong with us, and so we're you know not getting a diagnosis, uh, we feel that perhaps you know it's all in our head or we're, we're a little bit mad or what's wrong with me? Why me? Why, why am I experiencing all of these feelings when everybody else seems to be healthy and happy? Absolutely. And, you know, not all doctors are out there to tell you that you're crazy, you know, and, and to their credit, you know, they want to help their patients, but when they get into a situation where they're encountering something that they don't have much or any experience with, you know, they're kind of, Um, they don't have the tools to help you. And so they kind of, you know, maybe think of something else or tell you, you know, maybe it's in your head or, you know, just kind of sleep more or whatever, because they want to help you. But if they can't, then they feel a little bit uh, lost, you know. And so sometimes it can be, uh, sometimes it can be rude, you know, if they tell you, hey, you're crazy. (laughs) You know, I I had a, when I was just a, a year ago, because uh, I was diagnosed in September this time last year, actually. And I think we'll talk about that in a little bit more detail. But that diagnosis took several doctors and two gastroenterologists to get to that point. And the first gastroenterologist that I saw, you know, he basically said, oh, there's there's nothing I can do for you. SIBO is not, it's not a real thing. Um, and so that's kind of the situation where we're at. And that's what needs to be changed. Wow, interesting. And and did he explain why he believed that SIBO wasn't a real thing? He did. He said that he had other patients that had come in that had told him that that was what they had encountered. And so, you know, he was 
open a trying antibiotics. And he said, he, he noticed that their patients were relapsing so quickly that he thought, okay, it can't be this if, you know, the drug that we're giving them isn't solving any issue. And we don't understand the mechanism of SIBO. And people are coming in with all different kinds of explanations from whatever, you know, crazy thing they're reading online. Maybe this is all just hocus pocus. So I think mm. that was the perspective that he was he was coming in from, and that's why we need a little bit more objective data and a little more understanding and knowledge from the medical community so that we don't have that kind of situation. Mm, definitely, and we're going to talk more about um, how we can do that uh, later on in our discussion today. Um, so how did you end up uh, finding a doctor uh, that knew what SIBO was and was able to diagnose you with it? What was that journey like for you? Right. Well, Rebecca, I think the operating word is definitely journey because it took years to find the right person. And it was, it was, you know, it was total serendipity when it finally happened. But basically, you know, like we had discussed, you know, I had been asking practitioners all the way back in college, you know, the nurses, local doctors, naturopaths. It wasn't getting anywhere, but I was kind of getting a little bit better. So I was like, okay, well, I'll kind of keep going. But over time, it was it was getting worse and worse and harder and harder to manage. And so finally, um, a little more than a year ago, I said, okay, enough is enough. I need to go find somebody who can really nail down what's going on for me so I can move on with my life. And so um, what I decided to do was to you know, bark up every single tree within Kaiser Permanente. And Kaiser Permanente is basically, for your listeners who may not know, it's one of the largest providers of health insurance in the United States. So it's it's very mainstream. And so, you know, I went to see my general practitioner and he said, you know, that sounds terrible. I'm sorry that you're dealing with that. You know, I don't, I don't, I don't know if there's anything I can do for you. We ran all these blood tests and you look normal. I said, well, doc, you know, doc, I I don't feel normal. (laughs) And so I told him, you know, please refer me to a gastroenterologist. So he, so he agreed and, you know, he put me, uh, he put me in, in a, you know, kind of a, um, a speeded up track to, to see a gastroenterologist and it still took a month, but fine, you know, and specialists take, take some time. And the first gastroenterologist that I saw just kind of, he kind of completely blew me off and, and the reason for that was that he thought SIBO was kind of a hocus-pocus kind of made-up condition because he had other people come in who said that they had read about it online and, you know, please give me the antibiotics. He gave them the antibiotics and they didn't get better. And so in his mind, SIBO was bunk. And so, you know, that didn't get me anywhere. And so... Uh, then I waited to, you know, waited in line to see another gastroenterologist. But in the interim, I was thinking to myself, you know, mainstream medicine isn't isn't helping me right now. You know, their 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 goal is is to make sure that people are, you know, can heal and, and be productive. But that's not what's happening with my experience. And so it really, you know, put a bad taste in my mouth. It really made me feel really kind of cynical about um, healthcare in the United States. So anyway, so that was when I realized, okay, I'm going to go find an alternative health practitioner and, and get this sorted. And so I was just walking by, you know, a, uh, a practice one day and I walked in and, you know, I hit it off with the, the naturopath there and she, she sat me down and, you know, our first appointment was an hour and a half of, you know, tell me everything that's going on. And that was a huge contrast from, you know, my general practitioner where it was 15 minutes of your lab tests look fine. So, you know, finally, after really getting to know my situation and my, my symptoms, she said, this sounds like SIBO. I really hope it's not SIBO, but let's test for it. And, um, you know, a couple of weeks later, the results came back and lo and behold, it was, you know, methane dominant SIBO, which... Um, for those, for your listeners who have methane dominant SIBO, the, um, the symptoms can be pretty severe and they were very severe for me and they were very varied, but, um, very pronounced. And so that, that's how, that's how, that's the journey. It took about five, six years, you know, from the beginning of noticing some food sensitivities to, um, you know, the development of my health getting worse over time because nobody was able to catch it early on to finally, Sounds like you have SIBO. Let's run a test. Mm. 
And and I think unfortunately that is such a common story and it mirrors mine completely where I also saw multiple doctors in different countries because I lived both in Australia and the UK. And, you know, I also had blood tests run and they always came back as absolutely perfect. They'd often say we couldn't, we wouldn't see someone more healthy with blood tests like yours. Yet I also felt sick and would say, why am I so sick? And they wouldn't have an answer for me. And and also like you, almost out of desperation, I went to a naturopath um, because I didn't feel that what I considered traditional medicine was really looking after me. And it was my naturopath who just like you uh, said, I think this might be SIBO. And she ran the breath test, the lactulose breath test, and it came back positive. I I came back as um, hydrogen dominant, but I did still also have methane present, but the hydrogen was uh, stronger. So that's possibly why um, I was able to treat my SIBO a little quicker and a little bit more with ease than other people. Um, I'd love to talk about what your treatment looked like. You know, what, what was your mental state like when you finally had a diagnosis that gave a name to why you had felt so sick for so long and also how you then treated your SIBO? Well, you know, I was kind of thrilled to finally have nailed something down for the first time in years. I mean, that was that was a big weight off my shoulder, but at the same time, it was a big burden knowing that, wow, this is, this is going to take some real effort. And, you know, we were discussing at, at another point that when me for first diagnosed, we thought that we were just going to hammer through, you know, we were going to take all the right drugs, we were going to do whatever it took to just get rid of the SIBO and move on with our lives. And for a lot of people, it doesn't turn out that way. Um, so just as a quick aside, you know, I was discussing this uh, this very issue with, with Dr. Allison Seebecker, and she was telling me that now from from a, uh, a recent study, we know that SIBO is chronic for two-thirds of patients. And for one-third of patients, the lucky one-third, which sounds like you might be one of that, fall into that camp, Rebecca, which is wonderful, um, for two-thirds, it's going to be chronic. And so it's not a question of getting rid of it. It's a question of um, getting it under control so you can go continue to go about your life. But when you first hear that you have something that could be chronic, you say, doctor, that's crazy. That's, that's not true. You know, forget it. I'm going to go somewhere else. And um, so it took me a long time to accept that it was going to be chronic in my case. Um, so what I ended up doing for treatments, and my, my plan was to, to do a treatment, get it done within two weeks, and move back to uh, the life that I was leading. I was working in, in Spain at the time. And, and just move on, you know, and it didn't, didn't work out that way. So I, I took, started an herbal protocol and it wasn't responding uh, at all. And uh, so I realized that I had to stay in the States. And so I had to move back home, you know, uh, to the States and, and leave my life behind in Europe, in essence, to, uh, to get this, this treated. And it took me, you know, about five, six months before I started feeling like myself again. And, um, and I wasn't, I couldn't work during that period cause I was so sick. So what I did in, in a nutshell was, uh, you know, tried that herbal protocol, which wasn't very successful for me. Um, I did two rounds of Alimed, um, one round of the elemental diet, which is pretty extreme. Uh, but I was, I was committed and I've also done three rounds of rifaximin and metronidazole. And of course, a very low FODMAP diet. So those are all the different treatments that I have tried. Mm. And um, what's what's life like now? Do you still have SIBO? Uh, you know, and and how do you manage your condition? So the first time that I did uh, rifaximin with metronidazole, it was like, whoa my life's back. I feel normal. I could eat things again. You know, I can do everything. And I was so excited about it that I was reintroducing foods way too fast, you know, pizza, ice cream, all the things that we love, you know, um, that I had been missing so much. And that's why I really relapsed within two weeks after the first round. And so, okay, it was like, fine, I'll, I'll do a second round. I didn't quite, you know, eliminate enough of the overgrowth. 
And same thing, second round, I was really excited after, you know, after the treatment and I was cheating again and I relapsed again within two weeks. And so the third round, I was like, you know, I, I can't keep taking these antibiotics every, you know, month, two months for the rest of my life. And so I finished the last round in June um, and I have been very, 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 very strict with um, the low FODMAT diet or um, I use uh, Dr. Allison Seebecker's SIBO-specific um, food guideline. And basically it's just a bunch of you know, recommendations for different foods that uh, that work in different, uh, different stages or different levels of tolerability. And so I started with very well tolerated foods and I've been able to reintroduce some of the, um, higher FODMAP foods, more, um, fermentable foods back into my diet because of course, part of the challenge is making sure that we get enough nutrition as SIBO patients, but it's still very, very limited and I haven't really cheated at all. You know, no ice cream, no pizza, nothing fun. Um, and certainly no alcohol or, uh, you know, anything like that. So super low sugar. And, and that's just the nutritional component. And, and I think we'll talk a little bit more about that. But of course, there are other lifestyle components that have been really, really important to my treatments as well, including uh, sleep and exercise and, and water and, and things like that. Mm. I think um, it, it's a really interesting point you make, George, around um, the the experience that we often have when it comes to what we perceive as returning to our old life. And, and I think once you've been doing this kind of recovery from a condition like SIBO for a while, you realise that perhaps the old life isn't going to be the new life. Um, and one of the things that I think was positive about my experience with my treatment was that I followed Dr. Narala Jacoby's SIBO biphasic diet protocol. Um, and she's Australia's leading SIBO specialist. And she has a very phased approach. So she took, she looked at the low FODMAP diet and what Alison's, Dr. Alison Seebecker had done and has combined it into a pretty strict protocol where you start on a very low fermentable, low sugar, low carbohydrate hydrate um, food list and then you slowly but surely expand upon that and it's very measured very controlled um, and you're doing that in conjunction with your treatment and and so I followed that for six months and because everything was so staged and so slowly reintroduced I think that that gave me a really good uh, chance at then reintroducing some foods that I'd had a long-term problem with like gluten and dairy and I can now eat those foods in moderation on in small amounts on occasion without um, major issues which is which is really nice because it does mean that on occasion I can I can have those foods however what I have found is that I don't even though I don't have SIBO at this point in time and I am at risk of redeveloping SIBO because I have endometriosis, which causes adhesions. And I've also had several abdominal surgeries, which has caused adhesions. And I suspect I have adhesions kind of wrapping all around my intestinal system. And I've had, I have a whole host of other conditions as well. Um, to me, it's about managing SIBO from returning rather than whilst, you know, whilst I currently have a negative SIBO status, I don't see that the, that I am SIBO free for life. I see it that I manage my condition really strictly. So I've also a bit like you. I've been very careful with my foods, my alcohol consumption, my stress, my sleep, because I don't want this condition to come back at full force like it has um, in the past. And uh, and so life post SIBO is different to life pre SIBO, but it's a different life. So <laughs> I think it and that kind of gives us a nice segue into talking about what. Life life is like post-SIBO treatment and, um, and how one manages their life with um, SIBO and, and also how they manage it once they've had a negative SIBO diagnosis, uh, blood test, sorry, breath test. Um, and one of the things that I realized was that as I went through my own personal journey, I realized I had to address five key pillars to health and that in, until I addressed all five of them, I wouldn't be able to achieve lasting health and wellness. Um, and so the first pillar for me was around awareness. And I'd love to talk to you, George, around your own journey with 
becoming aware of your condition and also, you know, what awareness looks like for you post knowledge that you have something like SIBO? Yeah, absolutely. Um, and, and then first of all, I just want to say that I think it's it's great that the biphasic diet worked for you. And I think that if people can find a practitioner that can really dial into what's going on with their SIBO and what kind of associated conditions or underlying conditions might be related to their SIBO, then they can find something, you know, a diet plan, a treatment plan, um, something, you know, including the biphasic diet that can really make a big difference. And so I think that that's what your doctor was able to do. And that's the best case scenario. And that's what we want to get going for as many other people as possible, because you and I both know how debilitating it can be um, to live with SIBO, you know, especially when you have other responsibilities in life, you know, to your family, to your work, what have you. And, you know, when you have this this weight on your shoulders where you're going through your life, it's just, it's, it's untenable. You can't do it. Mm-hmm. Um, but post, post SIBO, or at least, you know, uh, post getting things uh, to a level, a stable level, um, I think you're exactly right when you say that awareness is, is really, really important. And the way that I kind of think about that is that I think that I have a disability, but that doesn't mean that I'm disabled. And so what I mean by that is that um, I have SIBO and I know it's there, but I can do everything else that's important to me in my life. So I can focus on, you know, my work. I can focus on, you know, my passions, my hobbies, um, spending time with my friends. But I have to adapt those a little bit, right? And so I'm not going to, you know, go to the bar all the time with my friends, for example, or or, you know, certain things that would have been triggering or, you know, I need to make sure that if we're going to go out to a restaurant, that it's somewhere that, that I can eat. So I just need to, it, it involves a little bit more planning, but that's because I'm aware that I do have a disability, but when I plan, I'm not disabled. Mm, I think that's great. I, I like that we've got a disability, but we're not disabled. Uh, and that's so important. We'll talk more about mindset as well, because that's another key pillar to health. Um, but j- just that, um, you know, being prepared, being aware, you then have a much greater chance of being able to manage a condition like SIBO. Um, nutrition was the second key pillar to my recovery, um, because I, you know, I truly believe what we eat is what we become. And when we have disordered digestion with a condition like SIBO, nutrition is so important because it can help and it can also hinder our recovery. Talk to me through, you know, you've talked a little bit about your nutrition, but um, in terms of needing to, you know, avoid certain foods, but what does nutrition look like for you these days, George? Sure. So my, my nutrition is, is very targeted to my, uh, you know, daily, to my needs in essence. So the things that I can tolerate are most any kind of protein, um, and then certain vegetables in small quantities, some berries in small quantities. And then one thing that I struggled with for a long time was carbohydrates. And I think that's what's one, one thing that a lot of us struggle with because that's exactly what feeds the overgrowth, right? And sugar and, and other things. But carbohydrates, you know, that's like throwing nitrous oxide onto, onto a fire. And so it wasn't until I started talking with, you know, uh, a nutritionist and a friend of mine who's a nutritionist um, to understand that you can't live your life without carbohydrates. At least most people cannot. A lot of people really need to have a base level of carbohydrates in their diet in order to be able to function. Um, And so for me, the carbohydrate that has been an absolute lifesaver has been jasmine white rice. So that's what I have with lunch and dinner every day. Um, And then for breakfast, I can also tolerate a small amount of oatmeal. So without those carbs, And I went through several months without any carbohydrates because I just didn't want the symptoms that I could tell that was, you know, kind of grinding me down because I wasn't having the right nutrients and having the right enough energy throughout the day to function. And so that started to cause some other issues like uh, blood sugar management issues, right? And histamine issues. And since bringing in more carbohydrates, those aren't as challenging for me. But I think it's really, really important for people with SIBO 
um, to make sure that they're getting the right enough of the right kind of nutrients that their body needs. Not everybody needs, you know, a minimum of, of carbohydrates, but, but I do. And, uh, one way you can do that is by working with uh, a nutritionist. I think that's a really great point that you make, George, around finding the nutrition that you require for yourself. Um, and I know that I, I hear from a lot of people saying, I just wish there was a one-size-fits-all diet that I could follow. Why can't all the specialists agree on one diet for all of us? And not we're not the same. You and I, George, are not the same. We both have a condition that's that's similar. I was hydrogen dominant. You were methane dominant. But our genetic uh, makeup and um, our own individual microbiome, the you know the bacteria that live in our guts, and everything else, our lifestyle influences, everything is unique to us. And so, I always say to people, unfortunately, we have to be become our own private investigator and we need to find the foods that work for us. And in contrast to you, George, I actually do really well on a low carbohydrate diet. Um, I find that my system just doesn't do well with carbs. I get uh, really noticeable spikes in my blood sugar. I, whilst I don't have SIBO at the moment, so I don't get the SIBO symptoms, I get other symptoms when I have lots of carbohydrates. I feel fantastic when I'm eating good quality protein, good quality fats and vegetables and, and some fruit. Um, that's when I feel my most incredible. So it's, you know, what works for me doesn't work for you and won't work for anybody else. So I think the message really is, you know, find the foods that work for you and um, and then play with them. Like work out, okay, well, I can have jasmine rice. Can I have sweet potato or could I have basmati rice or, you know, what what are the other carbs that I can that I can eat that I can tolerate or what are the other proteins that I can eat or vegetables that I can eat so that we can ideally expand our nutrition so that we're having a broad range of foods that are uh, nutritious for us, healthy, and also feeding our gut microbiome so that they're getting the foods that they need to survive and thrive. Couldn't agree more, Rebecca. I think you really said it said it perfectly. <laughs> the third component um, in my journey to health was movement. And I realized that being a chronically unwell woman for most of my life, I wasn't brilliant at moving every day. I'd go through fits and bursts where I would um, sometimes, you know, I'm, I'm all or nothing. So I'd be I went into triathlons for a period of time before I got my SIBO diagnosis. So I'd be training five to seven days a week, really high intensity training, or I would be doing nothing and I would be lying on the couch going, I feel sick. Um, and so I realized that movement had to be part of my daily life. So I'd love to talk to you, George, around what you do when it comes to movement and how movement makes you feel and, and whether you feel that that's an important part of your own journey to health. Oh, I think it's crucial. I think it's absolutely crucial for people who have SIBO and, and certainly for, for general health and wellness for, for anybody, but especially for people who have uh, digestive issues like SIBO because you need to make sure that your motility, your migratory motor complex that's pushing through food through your small intestine um, so it doesn't stay there is working properly. And that's going to make sure that your, your SIBO is not going to get worse over time. But you do need to be a little bit careful in how you're doing that. And, and that kind of speaks again to that sort of personalized approach with nutrition is you need to find the, the right kind of exercise and movement that works for you. So, you know, like you, I used to be really into high intensity workouts and then it just wasn't, it was kind of leaving me totally drained and putting a lot of strain on um, my adrenal glands. And, um, and also what I've learned is, you know, from my naturopath is that high intensity exercise can be something that is negative for people who have SIBO because it can, um, upset your digestion. Um, and I couldn't go into more details about the mechanisms in that, but when I changed from a higher intensity workout and movement routine to something that was lower to mid intensity, like jogging, bicycling, walking, things like that, it really made a big difference. Um, 
first of all, it took a big load off my adrenals and that was an associated condition for me was adrenal fatigue. Um, but then it, it definitely, when you finish your workout and you can tell, you know, the next day you have a normal stool or what have you, you can really kind of feel the difference and see the difference when you're, when you're moving and exercising regularly. So for me, that's like three, four times a week of moderate exercise usually. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Definitely. And I'm, I'm the same. I, I no longer do those really high-intensity, uh, full-on workouts. Um, I walk. That's my exercise now. And... I went and got myself a Fitbit and I aim to hit 10,000 steps every day and it's been it's been lovely actually. I really enjoy now just getting out and it's just, you know, sometimes I just casually stroll. It's not even I'm not even walking quickly. I'm just breathing in fresh air, looking at the sun shining. Hopefully the sun is shining here in Melbourne, Australia, but uh, you know, I'm looking at birds flying. It's springtime here in Australia at the moment, so I'm looking at the blossoms and smelling the flowers and it's a really wonderful relaxing time to get back and outside and be one with nature and and I find that it really helps soothe my system and I feel so good for it. That sounds great. I think we'll all have to go on a on a SIBO friendly walk at the next conference in Australia. Definitely. (laughs) (laughs) Fourth the fourth component for me was, and this was such a big one for me, was mindset. So it's my fourth um, pillar in my pillar to health. And George, I'd love to talk to you around the um, aspect of mindset for you in your own journey to recovery and, and what, what you experienced um, and what it looks like for you today. Right. So mindset was a really, really big piece of my SIBO experience. And it kind of felt like me versus me because I was really dealing with pretty debilitating mental health symptoms like anxiety and depression. And it didn't help that I felt like I had this um, ailment that nobody knew about, that nobody had, you know, and that I was all alone with. And one thing that was really, really big for me was discovering that there is a community of people like us online and you can engage with them and interact with them and know that you're, you're not alone. And so the first thing that I dialed into was uh, the SIBO discussion group on Facebook, which has over 10,000 people in it now. And you find other people that are dealing with exactly what you're dealing with. And that's like, whoa, you know, I'm, I'm not alone anymore. You know, certainly you're not going to um, see them very frequently. And actually in Portland, I was able to go to a meetup group of other people who were dealing with SIBO and that, that was really special um, to meet other people in person because we really feel like we're dime a dozen, even though in, in reality, looking at the numbers, um, we're you know, up to 85% of people who have IBS, which is tens of millions of people, but that's a separate issue. So it was community was a big component to uh, my mindset that I'm not alone. And then the other aspect of that was um, exercise and nutrition, which were helping my my mental health as well. And then also, you know, um, you know, saying, okay, this is really a big deal. I need to go get some help. And so I went to see, you know, a mental health practitioner and I got um, right, I actually took an antibiotic, antidepressant for a little while. And those two things, in addition, made a big difference for the mental health symptoms that I was working, uh, working through. And so basically getting the right resources that I needed and dialing in with, with the community of other people, um, those really helped my mindset today and they helped me continue with my day, you know, knowing that, you know, I can be an example to say, hey, I still have SIBO, but I'm going forward with my life. You have SIBO, you can do the same thing. Definitely. Yep. And that's, I think that's a really important message that uh, for a chronic illness that, uh, you know, it doesn't have to control us. We can take back ownership of our lives. And sometimes we need to do some work on ourselves in order to help, our, help ourselves move forward. Definitely. 
and thinking about thinking about our mindset. Um, some of the things that I do with some of my with my coaching clients is that, particularly on tough days, you know, we have those days, some days where everything feels bad or crap, and we just think, you know, what is the purpose or what's the point of living, and and so I do something with my clients where. I get them to focus on something that makes them happy. Now, it could be that they've seen a flower blossom or their dog came up and, you know, gave them a lick or wagged its tail at them or, you know, I don't know, they they saw something beautiful. They saw a beautiful bird fly by. It, it, you know, something that can help them take themselves away from focusing inwards and it can help them focus outwards. And and I get my clients to to make a note of something that's made them feel positive every day. And it can be something really small or it can be something really big. They had a really big win, for instance, or they ate a meal and they didn't have negative symptoms. Um, And I find that when we focus on these small things every day and we start to write them down and we put a little, you know, we we, we jot them down every day, we can look back over the week at the things that made us happy um, that can help shift our mindset from being constantly negative, which is so common and understandable when you're chronically ill to starting to shift the tide so that you can start to see things more positively. And when we start to look at things more positively, we've got much, I believe, a much better chance of truly regaining our health because we're looking towards positive rather than staying backwards with negative. I think that's wonderful. And and I think that's something that certainly that even, you know, I can apply to myself because I don't have all the answers. You know, I'm doing the best that I can, you know, taking some of the advice from, from my therapist, you know, thinking about mindfulness. But I still have days where, you know, I kind of, I feel really frustrated or I'm beating myself up or, you know, I'm kind of getting stuck into so maybe some cycle of, of negativity because, you know, maybe I can't do something that, that I wanted to, but, or I'm having a flare up, right. And, and that's kind of causing my, you know, have brain fog and I can't think as clearly and, and da, 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 da. And so basically what, what I've tried to do is just keep busy with things that, that I do care about and that, that are important to me, but you know, I, I don't have all the answers. So I think that, you know, for a lot of people having, um, some resources like, like you or other therapists would be really beneficial because it, it is really tough at times. <laughs> It is. It is definitely, and 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 I'll move into the fifth component, which is lifestyle. But but mindset and lifestyle, I believe, go hand in hand. And and I know for myself, when I was going through my treatment, uh, I would often feel quite angry that I couldn't do what other people could do. And I'd look around my friendship circles and my families and and they would be, you know, what I considered living a normal life. And then there was me so restricted, so restricted in the food. I couldn't just go to a restaurant and eat there. I had to always be so organized and planned. I couldn't just grab lunch on the go. I always had to have food prepared and with me. And I felt pretty cross and angry about it. And so that was really negative for my, for my mindset. Um, and something that I had to work on was I had to shift my thinking. Uh, and so instead of being angry around, oh, I can't eat pizza with people and I can't do this, I would then think, you know what, what I can do is I can eat really good quality, healthy nutrition that my body needs right now. And one day in the future, I may be able to eat a pizza again. But is that really the best quality nutrition for me? No, it's not. So you know what? My good protein and my good vegetables, they are so healthy and nutritious. And so, you know, celebrate the fact, Rebecca, you have access to that food because there are plenty of people in this world that would kill to eat the food that you're eating. So, you know, get over yourself kind of message. And I found that that kind of helped me when I was, you know, trying to live a life with SIBO and watch other people kind of live these lives that I felt, you know, I was missing out on. But um, that lifestyle, I think, is really important and the way we live life both during our treatment with SIBO and post treatment with SIBO is really important and George I'd love to hear how you manage your life and lifestyle um, these days in in comparison to how perhaps you once lived. Definitely and I think you touched on this a little bit but you kind of have to think of SIBO as as an opportunity because you have you, you have a chance now to redesign your life in a way that's going to allow you to flourish um, 
with a disability, but not being disabled, if that makes sense. So for me, you know, that means I, I, I'm not as close with some other friends that, that I had in the past who, you know, their, some of the activities that they did, I couldn't jive with, right? But I'm closer with, you know, other friends who were really understanding or who were doing other things that, that I am, you know, more invested in now, right? Um, and then of course I had to do a total pivot with, with my career. You know, I was doing, I was working in the startup industry, um, in Spain and that involved, you know, traveling to conferences all around Europe, which was great. I loved it. Um, but, but I couldn't, I couldn't do it. I couldn't travel. I couldn't have the food while I was traveling around. I couldn't deal with that stress. And so, you know, that was part of the reason why I had to come home and I said, okay, you know, what kind of work can I do now that's going to work with my, um, you know, my, with, with SIBO and, but, but also be really, you know, fulfilling for me and important. And, um, you know, it turns out that I was able to find some work here and, you know, I have some really understand, I have a really understanding employer and I'm able to, you know, pour some time into, um, SIBO Action Network, which we'll talk about in a second. So, you know, it, it, it's, it's really about finding, um, a new path that's that actually in the long run, is better for you. I mean, this, this life, life that I'm leading now matches who I am better than, than I think the one that I was leading before, um, before SIBO. I can't, can't say that that's always going to be true for everybody, but I think that, you know, when you find the things that, that, that do work for you, that make you happy, then that make you healthy, that you'll, you'll be better off. And, uh, SIBO is, is really a forced wake up call for, for a lot of us. Um, I think that when it comes to uh, lifestyle, uh, you know, I kind of look at it, it's almost like BS and, uh, you know, before SIBO and AS after SIBO. My, <laughs> my lifestyle was, was not conducive to health before I got my SIBO diagnosis. So I had a lot of stress. I was working stressful corporate jobs. I did not sleep enough. I drank far too much alcohol. I was with some friends that, you know, gosh, I had a lot of fun with them, but their priorities were around drinking and partying. Um, it wasn't around health and wellness. And so I had a period of mourning actually where, where I had to say goodbye uh, or I had to redesign friendships when I, when I first got through, got diagnosed with SIBO because, you know, literally it was black and white overnight I had to change everything because I was like we've talked about earlier in this podcast I was in that zone of I'm going to do whatever it takes to get through SIBO as quickly as possible so I scrapped my whole I changed my whole life um but now I realize that the way I live now and I don't drink I do drink a little bit of alcohol here and there but I definitely don't drink like I used to and and I don't feel great drinking alcohol so it's you know it's special occasions rather than every week um I focus um it's a constant work in progress for me around getting enough sleep getting to bed before midnight um I focus on my exercise I focus on my mindfulness I I am very conscious of the people I have in my life now I make sure that the people in my life are supportive of my journey and are people that have similar interests and values in my health and wellness journey now um because those that don't have that interest, and that's fine that they don't have to, but they're not necessarily the right fit for me anymore. Um, and, and and the other thing I think is important for people to, to be aware of is we have to often make changes pretty radically in our lives, but we have to be, be um, sensitive to the impact that has on others. So I, uh, I you know, and we get very inward looking. So when I got my diagnosis, obviously I had to change immediately. But my partner was, I, I didn't appreciate that he had to go through a journey as well. And so my food change had a significant impact on him. And I perhaps wasn't very sensitive or aware of the enormity of the impact on his life. And I think that if I could go back in time, I think I'd perhaps be a little bit more understanding of the changes that it, he had to go through, even though he didn't have SIBO. 
And then with I hear from people quite often that they don't know how to manage their family. So they might have a mother-in-law who, um, or a mother who is used to cooking food, lots of gluten and dairy and foods that we generally can't touch at all when we're treating SIBO and they don't know how to manage these people. And, and so sometimes we have to go on a journey with them, a journey of education and, and raising their own awareness because – Whilst we have to make changes immediately, these people often aren't ready or willing to make changes themselves. So, um, you know, whilst we want everybody to support us through our journey, sometimes I think part of the awareness piece is that we have to be aware that not everyone is able to to do that for us in the time frame that we need them to do it and that we have to, you know, be a little bit understanding that sometimes we might have to uh, pull ourselves away from certain people for a period of time um, while we focus on our own health. Right. And, and, you know, we can get frustrated trying to explain SIBO, you know, because it's hard to do in a short period of time because it's fairly complex and there's quite a lot of pieces that are involved with it. And so, you know, you can tell right away whether or not someone's going to be receptive to, to what you're explaining. But you're right, you know, with, with people that are close to you that are important to you, you do have to go on a, on a journey with them. And um, it, it is special when, when, they, when they are receptive and, and you know, they, you start, you, you're, you're able to adapt your lifestyle and, and they're, you know, they make suggestions that work for you and, and this, that, and the other. But, you know, definitely, you know, that first Thanksgiving when you come with rice and chicken and everyone looks at you like, huh? <laughs> um, um, it, it, it can be... Um, a shock. So, you know, we have to have a little, we have to try, you know, to have patience with other people who don't know about SIBO and, and not to get frustrated ourselves because, you know, we, we've had enough frustration to deal with, right? So definitely, we just, we just need to let things take their course and, and um, go on that journey if need be. And I think the other thing that we, we have to be mindful of is, and I was definitely guilty of this, is that we we kind of drink the SIBO Kool-Aid, so to speak, that we become so passionate about this condition. We want everybody to know about this condition. People say to us, oh, I'm bloating. Oh, I, you know, I'm constipated. And then we're immediately launching into, well, have you heard about SIBO? There's this condition. You should go and get tested. And we kind of become these, you know, these like walking posters for SIBO and not everybody is at the point in their own health journey where they're ready to hear it. And and I had to kind of check myself sometimes where I'd find myself preaching about SIBO and I think I got a little bit annoying. And so I, I now – you know, if someone wants to know more about SIBO and they want to know more about what I do, then I'll I'll share it with them. And if someone's going on and on about IBS type symptoms, I say to them, you, you might like to look into this. There's this condition and, and here's some information here. You can go and find it. And I let them go off on their own time. But I, I've had to learn to stop being a preacher. <laughs> and I think that uh, I think we can be guilty of that because we feel like we've found the miracle solution for all our ail- ailments. <laughs> Definitely. No, I mean, I'm guilty of that too. You know, I have a family friend who, who recently has been diagnosed with SIBO and I just want to just, you know, fling all this knowledge at them and say, you know, do this, don't do that, you know, but, but, you know, I have to remind myself that my experience isn't going to apply to this person. And, you know, like you said, they have to go through this journey at their pace. So, you know, just giving that base layer of information. And then if they have more questions, you know, you're a resource available to them. But when you're kind of unloading your experience and your knowledge onto them, it can definitely be overbearing. It can be. So, George, I'd like to know what's life like today for you? So, you, you um, as I understand it, you still have SIBO. Um, and how, how is life today? Life's great, Rebecca. Um, you know, I have flares. I probably have a couple flares a week. But I, I know how to work through them now. Um, so, you know, implementing those, those different pillars that you mentioned have pretty well brought me to a productive, quote unquote, normal life. You know, I'm able to work, which is huge, huge. I mean, when I do it through that period where I was, you know, seeing doctors and trying to get well, and that was, um, you know, maybe from this year, I would say January to uh, May, June, you know, I wasn't able to work at all. And I was like, am I ever going to be able to be, you know, to provide for myself again? So to do that and be independent is huge, huge. Um, and then beyond that is like, 
it's like gravy. You know, I can go out with my friends. Fantastic. Um, you know, I can, um, you know, I can go out and, and do, you know, some of my hobbies and go biking. I can go, you know, do, you know, take pictures, you know, think other things that are important to me. I'm not going to be held back. And that's all just like the cherry on top for me at this point. Whereas before it was like, Oh, it's a long week and I can go out with my friends finally, you know, and I don't look at that look at it that way anymore because I was at such a low point that when I have those, you know, special moments, it it really is like, Oh wow. You know, I've come a long way. So for me, I'm, I'm really happy with, with where I'm at. I'm going to try really, really hard um, to maintain it. (laughs) Wonderful. And I think that's such an important message for people listening that are perhaps suffering from chronic SIBO uh, that life can get better and you you can still have the condition but you can still be really enjoying life so that is such great news to hear thanks yeah well same to you you know it's it really it's a it's a long journey but uh, but you can come out the right the other side if you if you you really commit to it and you have the right resources definitely and and what I think is really interesting is that um, you know SIBO has led both you and I to uh, new careers and and to be doing new interesting things that we possibly would never well we probably would never have done if it had not been for this SIBO diagnosis. Um, talk to us about SIBO Action Network. Sure. Well, um, what preceded SIBO Action Network? When um, when I came home and I was really sick and I was like, you know, this my my BS experience, if you will. Well, actually, this was after SIBO, but, you know, maybe BS in another way, um, was very, very challenging. And I said, you know, this sucks. We need, we need change. You know, somebody needs to, we need to get out there and, and promote SIBO and, and do something to get going so that we can get a cure for this thing, you know? And so what I did was I created a site called simplysibo.com and, and it was basically just, you know, a blog about my journey and my experiences to share for other people. Um, and I actually called it the SIBO bro. Um, and, and the reason for that is that there wasn't anybody else who was, um, you know, a young guy like myself blogging about SIBO. So I really felt alone. You know, there were some, uh, people with different backgrounds who had been blogging and, and there really, there weren't that many of them, but I felt like I couldn't quite relate to them. So I wanted to, um, you know, do that blog so that other young people could say, wow, you know, George is going through this and he's got this blog. Um, I'm not alone. And basically that was, I started that, you know, with, with the vision that somehow I was going to make a difference. Didn't, didn't, wasn't sure how it was going to happen, but didn't care, just needed to start with something. And, um, you know, I started to get feedback from other people, um, on Facebook, people would email me and, you know, they tell me about their experiences and they were similar, they were different. And, um, and it was really, really special. And one person that reached out to me, uh, Darcy, Darcy Richardson, uh, who's a nurse who'd been dealing with uh, SIBO for quite some time, uh, we hit it off and she, um, we had a similar vision of starting um, a nonprofit that would do um, advocacy work on behalf of patients with SIBO, uh, ultimately to uh, move forward uh, research on behalf of SIBO patients, as well as offering resources for, for current SIBO patients. And so, uh, we decided to start, excuse me, SIBO Action Network. And basically what we want to do is, uh, we want to advocate on behalf of SIBO patients. Um, we want to encourage research and we want to be a conduit between, um, the SIBO community and the medical and research community. And so one way that we've been able to do that is through a, um, a survey that, that I started, but I wouldn't say that it's, that it's mine because it was inspired by somebody who had created a survey on the Facebook group. And, um, and then I was able to work on it with, with Darcy and uh, with some some really thoughtful advice and help from Dr. Allison Seebecker and later on Dr. Pimentel. And what we're doing with that is what we want to do is we want to quantify the suffering of SIBO patients so that we can have some really clear numbers on what people are dealing with because there's there's no material out there right now saying, you know, how much does it cost to have SIBO? You know, how many days of work are you missing? You know, what, you know, how much are you spending on supplements? Things like that. 
Um, and so we want to get that data out there so that we can say, so that, you know, maybe a pharmaceutical company or research institution can say, hey, X number of people with SIBO are, are you know, they're in pain. It's worth it for us to invest in, in something that might work for them. Wonderful. And I think that that uh, just giving some data around uh, what it's like to have SIBO is so important. And it also will help those of us with SIBO to feel validated and, again, not feel so isolated, that there are others feeling just like us, living just like us. Exactly. And and part of that is that how many people right now have SIBO, you know, have SIBO but don't know they have SIBO? And from the data, it sounds like millions and millions of people. And so that's what we want to do is we want to say, hey, are you having IBS-like symptoms but you're not really getting anywhere? You know, maybe consider looking into SIBO. And, and we want to make sure that we can help those people who are dealing with the symptoms that, that we're dealing with and aren't getting anywhere but don't even know that that SIBO is a thing. And and part of that is because it's only in some of the more uh, progressive places in the world right now where SIBO is, is being researched, is being treated, um, you know, places like the Bay Area, Portland, Boulder, um, some of the cities in Australia, um, only in a few places. And we, we really want that to spread. I mean, if you look at, um, you know, trends on Google of where people are researching SIBO, you look at the middle of the country, the United States, um, and there's nothing, you know, there's, there, people aren't really searching for it and there aren't any practitioners that are there. Um, and that's really sad because there are definitely people there, um, because SIBO, it, it affects, any population. There's no real limit to who can be impacted by it because there are so many associated conditions that can lead towards it. Um, and so part of that is, you know, we put out a, a practitioner list so you can find, you know, somebody in your local area who might be able to help you treat that. But we really want to, we really want to push the advocacy piece so that we can help as many people as possible. And where can people find you if they're wanting to learn more about SIBO Action Network or, um, or get involved? And, and can people uh, take your survey now or is that something that's forthcoming? Sure. So they can go to SIBOActionNetwork.org uh, slash survey and the survey is open. It's, uh, it's been open for about six months now and we've had about 300 respondents, which has been phenomenal. And, and actually, we just recently published uh, the first round of results from that. So you can really, really illuminating stuff. And you can find that on our blog. Um, but if you have SIBO, I would really recommend taking this survey because it really helps to contribute um, to our, our knowledge and understanding about you know what we're dealing with and, and how that affects your life. And what we're working on is is refining that survey right now so that we can get that um, IRB certified and we can really have something that's really objective and um, something that's going to be able to, you know, we can get that in front of practitioners everywhere to give to their patients um, so that we can publish it formally um, in medical journals and things like that so that we can, uh, so, so that people will, will really take the data seriously. That's That's what we're headed. Um, and that's certainly going to take a number of months. Um, and, and part of the challenge is that we, you know, we're not a nonprofit yet. We're working on our nonprofit status. So we can't offer tax deductible, um, uh, you know, write-offs for donations, which would help speed up the process for developing, you know, that more refined um, survey. But, you know, we're getting there and we're, we're looking through other avenues to, to get that funding because it's, it's, it's not cheap to develop, you know, a really, really um, official, professional, certified survey. But, you know, we're, we're going to figure out, a, we're going to get that done. In the meantime, we've got a survey now that people can go to um, and that data is really useful right now. Wonderful. And I think that that survey, um, both both the current survey and then the future survey that you're doing, will really help in terms of um, dispelling the myths that people like your initial gastroenterologist have, which is that SIBO isn't a real condition. And I know my GP here in Australia also doesn't really believe in it. So I think that that work you're doing is um, so necessary and it's going to be uh, so beneficial to both the SIBO community of people that are 
um, currently experiencing SIBO, but also practitioners who will one day be treating it. So, George, thank you so much for that work that you're doing. Sure. Well, don't just thank me. You know, it's definitely an effort on on Darcy's part and 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 the community that's been been so receptive. So it's it's going to be a team effort for sure. Wonderful. So I I have the links to SIBO Action Network and the survey in the show notes. So do head to uh, the website where you can download that. George, it's been an absolute pleasure to have you on the show. Thank you so much for sharing your SIBO journey with the Healthy Gut podcast listeners. Um, It's been really insightful and I do uh, feel that people that are listening to this podcast that are currently experiencing SIBO will have learned a lot around what life can be like, even if you still experience the condition. So thank you so much for your time. Sure, sure. It was an absolute pleasure. And and I really wish your listeners the best. Thank you. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed episode 13 of the Healthy Gut Podcast with George Klingen. If you would like to access the show notes, any of the links, or even a full transcription of today's episode, then all you need to do is head to thehealthygut forward slash George. And don't forget to leave us a rating and review in either iTunes or the podcast app that you use to listen to this episode because I absolutely love hearing your feedback and it also makes it easier for others when they're searching for help online to know that this is the right podcast for them. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, YouTube, Pinterest and Google+. Just find us under The Healthy Gut and we do love connecting with you there. Coming up in next week's show, I chat with Sean Seymour and Sam Roberts, who are both qualified nutritionists and personal trainers. And we talk all about the importance of moving your body, particularly when you have a chronic illness like SIBO. So that's coming up next Tuesday in episode 14 of the Healthy Gut Podcast. You've been listening to the Healthy Gut Podcast with Rebecca Coombs. To learn more about the Healthy Gut or the podcast, head to thehealthygut.co forward slash podcast. If you would like to help support the continuation of this podcast, you can make a contribution at thehealthygut.co forward slash podcast. With thanks to Belinda Coombs for the production editing and original music score of this podcast to hear more of belinda's music head to soundcloud.com forward slash belinda coombs the healthy gut podcast is a production of the healthy gut thanks for listening imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt now imagine them getting even softer over time that's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.